So as we all know, Easter is a time when we think about resurrection and rebirth. And there are many stories along that theme. So here's a story for you this morning. This is a story about the Easter Bunny too, but this is a more adult kind of story. So it seems there was a man driving down the highway, and as he was driving down the highway, all of a sudden, a rabbit seemed to jump in front of his car. And he did his very best to swerve and miss the rabbit, but he was not completely successful, and he hit the rabbit, and it fell over on the ground, and he immediately pulled over and went over to see if the rabbit was all right, and as he approached, he saw that this rabbit had a basket full of eggs that were scattered around the ground. And he said, oh my God, I've killed the Easter Bunny. And so he was very distraught and depressed and wondering what he could possibly do when a woman drove up in another car. And this woman got out and came and looked at the scene and looked at the rabbit and she said, I, I think I can help. And she went into her car and she came out with a spray can of something. I'm sure it was non-aerosol. <laughs> and she went up and she sprayed the rabbit all around, head to toe, sprayed that rabbit. And the rabbit, the Easter Bunny, got up and smiled and gathered the eggs into the wonderful basket and then just hopped off. And as the rabbit hopped off, about every 50 feet, the rabbit would turn around and wave to them, like, thank you. And it would hop another 50 feet, and then it would turn around and wave. And then it continued like that until it just faded into the horizon. And the man was overjoyed and said to the woman, what in the world did you have in that spray? And so she showed him the container, and he read it, and it said... Hairspray, restore life to dead hair, and adds a permanent wave. <laughs> I didn't know if that was going to fly or not. <laughs> Diane can tell you how much I was worried about this. All right, that's one story. There are others. Of course, the traditional story of Easter is a more serious story, a far more serious story. It's a story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, who is a world-changing teacher and prophet who later on is declared to be God incarnate, at least by some of his followers. Not all, actually. But of course, like most of our great stories, this story has been mixed in with other stories. That's the way stories work in our planetary culture, is that the stories affect each other and they start getting mixed together a little bit. It's been mixed with other traditions like the Easter Bunny and the ancient pagan rites of spring, which occur in almost all cultures. There's some celebration of spring and rebirth, and so it's no accident that we celebrate the rebirth of the prophet Jesus in the springtime. That's not an accident at all. Even the silly story that I just told you 
is a strange combination of the Easter Bunny tradition and the story of the resurrection, along with a guest appearance by a kind of magic goddess. And so we really have a kind of weaving of different traditions that is very much part of our world, and our world is heading in that direction more and more. Almost all of our most popular seasonal myths are stories that have evolved over many cycles of years and centuries. One of my favorite springtime stories is the older pre-patriarchal version of Persephone. Not the version when she gets carried away to Hades, not that one, but the version in which Persephone, the daughter of the ancient goddess Demeter, according to this version, Persephone is out walking one day, and as she's walking, she sees the entrance to a cave, and she decides to explore this cave, and she goes in and follows the passages around, and she keeps going, and after a while, she gets to a big place, and she sees all the souls who have died in this one place, and she realizes she's reached the underworld. And the souls there, it's not hell because there's no notion of hell in this particular culture in that sense, but the souls are lonely and have not much to do, and it's a kind of a shady, dark place. And she's very moved by their condition, and she decides that she is going to live there, and she's going to take care of those souls and brighten up their world. She's decides that this is her mission in life. And she goes back and tells her mother, I've had such a wonderful idea, I'm going to go live with the souls in the underworld. And her mother is completely distraught because she can't bear to lose her daughter. And she cries and they argue and they discuss and they negotiate and eventually they reach a deal that Persephone will go into the underworld for six months each year and minister to the souls And then she'll come back and be on the surface of the earth with her mother for six months out of the year. And so that's the agreement they reach. And so what happens is that whenever Persephone leaves and goes down into the underworld, her mother, who is the goddess of the harvest and of life and death on earth, becomes so distraught that she just lets everything die. And then a long time passes and there's a time of barrenness. And then in the spring, Persephone comes back and her mother is just overjoyed and she just starts creating waves of flowers and butterflies and animals. She just can't contain herself. And so that's what's happening right now is that Persephone is coming back. So I like that story a lot. The Jesus story is much more well-known and almost everyone knows this story. Jesus is crucified by the Roman soldiers. He's buried in a tomb, which is also a kind of a cave, usually, the way it's portrayed. And on the third day, the stone is found to be rolled away and Jesus is gone. And in the days to follow, he has several encounters with his followers who are convinced that he has risen from the dead. They see him. And they're absolutely convinced that he's risen from the dead. And so the story passes from mouth to mouth and from generation to generation and is 
cherished by millions and millions of people all over the world. Jesus conquers death itself. And through belief in him, we can all conquer death as well. That's a very simple form of the story. About 25 years ago, I read a commentary on the Easter story by a man named Henry Nelson Wyman, who was a Unitarian uh, theologian. He taught at Southern Illinois University, as a matter of fact. Very fascinating guy. He's known as one of the process theologians. And he has a story about Easter that I like a lot. And so I'll tell you that story. Wyman asks us to imagine the disciples gathered together in a room somewhere after the crucifixion. They're just, you know, they're, they don't know what to do. They're distraught. They're discouraged. They're traumatized. They're depressed. They're anxious. They have no thought what to do. And then Wyman says, imagine them just sitting in a room somewhere, quiet. And then he says, in some quiet moment, one of them says that he feels the presence of the master in the room. He feels like he's there. No, it's not that anybody, he just feels like he's there. Now this is actually a very human experience that people have all the time. So let's suppose that one of them says, yes, I feel that he's here. And then another one says, you know what? I can feel that too, actually. I think he's, he's here. And then they all start to have this sense of, this, of a presence in the room that is their master. And they remember his hope and his encouragement just as if he were there. They start to have those same feelings again that they had when they were around him. And soon their spirits are lifted and they start to feel good and start to feel hopeful. And they start to come out of their depression into a sense of, of hope and gratitude and inspiration. Now this is a very possible experience, a very human kind of experience, and yet no laws of nature are broken in this story. You could put that little tag at the end. No laws of nature were broken in this story. Perhaps one of them starts singing a song and they all join in. They come out of their collective anxiety and feel renewed. They feel like they're, they have new life. He is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. We can feel it. He's right here. Death has been conquered and they go forth to proclaim this truth to the world. Now that or perhaps something like that really works for me as a possible way to tell the Easter story. And I offer it to you, and that may or may not be helpful to you, but I like it. It is a story of transformation. I know that for millions of people around the world, the resurrection story is taken much more literally, and you know what, that is fine with me, as long as the story is used to spread a genuine message of love and is not used as a tool of exclusion or any form of oppression or any kind of threatening message. If it's a genuine message of love, I'm in favor of love. 
It seems to me that as far as we know, Jesus historically was a prophet of radical and inclusive love and justice. He was on the side of the poor, the oppressed, the rejected, the tax collectors, the sex workers, everyone who was rejected, that's who he was for, that's who he had dinner with. That story told that way is not at the strength it should be in our culture. That story is not being told strongly enough of who this character represents from all we can know. And so when that radical message of love and justice and inclusiveness is told by my wonderful Christian colleagues, then I am inspired by that. Persephone's story is also a story of radical love. As a young goddess decides to sacrifice her happiness on earth to minister to souls who have died, to bring new life to those who have apparently left this world. The Persephone story very clearly is intimately linked to the cycles of nature. The cycles of spring, summer, fall, and winter are linked to the cycles of life and death. The creative process of the earth is a process in which life and death are woven together and they are somehow part of a greater reality, a greater creative process. In this amazing creative process, some are born and live and die, but the cycle goes on. The wholeness of the expression continues as individuals come into that process and they make their contributions and then individuals have their exit and new ones come in, but that whole creative show just goes on and on and on. Even after we cease to exist as individuals. You may be familiar with the great uh, philosopher of mythology, Joseph Campbell. He's got a wonderful series called The Power of Myth that we've shown in our church a number of times. Really wonderful. Maybe it's time to do that again. Joseph Campbell talked about his own reflection as he was approaching the end of his life. It's a beautiful piece to watch. He says that we could compare a human life to a glass of water. Think about a glass of water. The water in the glass is like water everywhere. It's the same. It's just that some of it happens to be in that glass at the moment. It's, it's universal. It's like the ocean. But that glass is individual and has a certain shape and a certain form and it was made somewhere by somebody and it was bought by this couple and sold to someone else and it has its own history. And someday the glass will break and that individuality will not be there. But the water will still be there and it'll still be universal, it'll still be water and it just rejoins the great water everywhere, the great ocean of life. And he said, the way to approach death is to think of oneself less and less as a glass 
and more and more as the water. That's the way to approach that transition, said this wonderful, wise man. And this is what Jesus represents as well in the Easter story, when in the story he surrenders his individuality, gives up his individuality to be one with a larger reality. In that particular tradition, this larger reality is called God. But we don't need to believe in a literal God to see the overall power of the story. Just like we don't have to believe in Persephone literally to enjoy the flowers of spring. One could believe or not believe in God and still feel this enormous creative power that goes by so many names and that is so obvious at this time. You just can't not see it. You just can't not see that something is going on, some kind of creativity. In this year of the 50th anniversary of the March from Selma to Montgomery, there is a historic event that I think resonates with the Easter story as well. And if you've seen the movie or you just know the story, you know that the first time the marchers tried to cross the bridge, they were savagely beaten by the state troopers. Really beaten in a very mean way. And yet, they did not resist. They allowed themselves to be willing sacrifices, to bear witness to the great truths of justice and injustice. This is a historic story. It happened, but it resonates with the crucifixion story of Easter and calls to mind how in that story, Jesus does not resist being tortured and killed in order to bear witness to a greater truth as the story goes. And yet, Dr. King told the marchers they would still reach the promised land, that the powers of oppression could not conquer them. No matter what they did, they would not win, but that the marchers would rise back up no matter what was done to them and that they would have the victory. And so this is a powerful, ancient motif woven into this modern political social event. King's motif echoes not only the Easter story, but the Passover story too. The story of a people becoming liberated from slavery, who were in dire straits, and who suffered and yet endured and eventually found hope and new life. There are just stories like this all over the place. In, in one sense, they're all about spring, but they're about the dynamics of new birth within us as individuals and as peoples. These stories do not all say exactly the same thing. There was a professor of the history of religions at Harvard named Wilfred Cantwell Smith, and people would say, all the religions say the same thing. He said, no, they don't actually. They don't say the same thing. They say different things, but their stories are all woven together in one great story. That part is true. The stories resonate with each other. 
the resurrection of Jesus, the return of Persephone, the return of the flowers, the Easter bunny, the miracle of spring, the rebirth of a people who have been beaten down but rise up once again like the lilies of the field. These are woven together. They are part of a great truth that we human beings are creatures of an enormous creative cycle of life. Birth and death, life and new life, loss of hope, and then regaining hope. We are not just observers of that process. We are in the process. We're in the show that we are observing. And this creativity runs through us as well. It gives us birth, and to it we return. We are never separate from that great creativity. Even when you can't see the water, the water is in the rock. It's always there. We may not see it all the time. And even in the dead of winter, that power is nearby. Even in slavery, justice is still alive, ready to be attained. Even in loneliness, love is not far away and will return. UU Minister Scott Alexander put it this way, remember that beneath your very real griefs and losses, life's holy heartbeat can still be heard. Even beneath our very real griefs and losses, life's holy heartbeat can still be heard. That is true all the time, whether we see it or not. But on a beautiful day in spring, when the sun comes out and the flowers burst forth, it is just undeniable. A tremendous life-creating force is all around us. A force that uses life and death itself for its creative purposes. And we are some of its amazing creatures. And we love to tell its stories in many ways and with many characters and many names. So let us enjoy this marvelous gift of life and do everything we can to spread that joy as far and wide as possible.